Ever heard of the coach that never punts? Coach Kevin Kelly's been deemed the mad scientist of football, gained cult-like fame for his unconventional football philosophy. He's the coach who never punts. Now, that might sound crazy to a lot of football fans out there, but it works. As the head football coach at Pulaski Academy in Arkansas, Coach Kelly has won nine state championships. He's one of the best offenses in the entire country. A few years back, Time Magazine even deemed Coach Kelly's no-punt philosophy as the 33rd best invention of the year. Coach Kelly's been featured by ESPN and NFL Films for his no-punt philosophy. He's been featured in ESPN's 30 for 30 and has been featured twice by HBO Real Sports. He even gets calls from NFL coaches who want to discuss his strategy. I mean, Atlanta Falcons executive Scott Pioli asked to meet Coach Kelly and pick his brain for an hour, even Coach Belichick. So clearly, he's doing something right. I'm a huge fan of Coach Kelly because he's not afraid to take a risk. Something we should be talking about today in our workforce with leaders. Steps outside of convention and tradition. I mean, imagine how many coaches just shook their head when he said, never going to punt. And he's always willing to try something new. It's innovative, but it's also really strategic. Coach Kelly didn't just come up with his no-punt strategy out of nowhere. Everything he does is backed by stats, by numbers. Coach Kelly used an ESPN database to study college football history and through his research discovered that when a team punts from near its end zone, the opponent takes possession inside the 40-yard line and scores a touchdown 77% of the time. If it recovers on downs inside the 10, the team will score a touchdown 92% of the time. So with the data behind him, Coach Kelly decided no more punting. Now he's regularly featured in the national press. The Washington Post said Coach Kelly's a rogue high school coach, but his ideas are taken seriously. So I'm really excited to have Coach Kelly on the pod today. We sat down and talked about everything from the power of purposeful practice. You can train yourselves to do things. If you'll focus on it and spend a little time every day doing it, it's amazing what you can train your body or your mind to be able to do. To why coaches need to give their team the why. Kids are more, way more open to ideas. Kids are great if you can tell them why. One of the real reasons I was excited to have Coach Kelly on is as a, as a leader today, working with young people at the high school level, these kids are the future of our workforce. We should listen to the leaders uh, who are out there working with them today to know what's going to happen tomorrow. So let's bring it in. You know, you're, you're interacting with kids at 14, 15, 16, 17. It's like the next wave of workers that are going to be, yeah. you know, out there in the workforce. You almost can see what's changing in the way that audience thinks, how they act. And um, so to that point, you, when you do like corporate talks, what do, what do you say to executives out there that want to be better leaders? You know, the first thing you talk about is, is know who you have. I, I think the big mistake, you know, even different levels of football are different. In the NFL, if you look, they've got their plan and they're trying to draft somebody that fits what they want to do. And in college, they do the same thing. In high school, the advantage that we end up having is we learn to coach better because we don't get to go pick who we want to fit our system. We've got to manipulate what we do around who we have. And in some respects, you can go out and hire when you're hiring people, 
you can go out and hire people you think fit in with your system and their strengths and weaknesses, but how much do you really know that person? They're giving you their best self and you're asking them questions when you're interviewing them, but at the same time, you really don't know what you're getting. So when you do get them, because of the expense of actually firing somebody, and I mean, that's a higher, that's a, if you look at the analytics of that, that's an expensive process too, firing somebody, bringing somebody else, teach them something new, then you need to be able, within your parameters, to manipulate what you need them to do that do fit their strengths and weaknesses. So I think one of the things I talked to them about is, is, is getting outside the box on that. And, and you might even be able to find somebody you have there that couldn't do exactly what you wanted to them as well, but maybe they can do something a little bit different than what you even do. And you might be able to branch out into a whole nother, another thing later on, but certainly you can find strengths that people do and if you place value on them, hey, look, sorry, you know, like, like I've, I've got a kid right now that la that last year wanted to play one position, and the kid, um, you know, I thought he's going to be an important football player, but he doesn't do what he wants. I don't even know he's going to start. He was able to do something different that I could thought, you know, I could find value in this. And then I gave him some ownership in it, and he took it and ran with it and became really good, where it became an integral part of what we did. And I never at the beginning of the year thought that would be something that we even thought about doing. So I guess if, you know, I, I, people understand your people and think differently about what they can do instead of here's what we want you to do. You know, maybe you've got to shuffle them around a little bit or give them some other leeway. You know, if you start thinking about the big corporations in the world, 3M, who's one of the biggest seller of office supplies in the world, I use, I use these different companies. You know, they started off as uh, really mining. They're Minnesota mining and manufacturing. They don't do anything like that anymore. If you look at Nokia, they saw they started off selling board games. You know, and now Nokia is a big electronics company. So even they, you know, everybody morphs into what they need to be. I'm just saying you can morph people a little bit into what you want them to be that fit more of them instead of what you wanted them to be and still be successful, especially if the person is somebody that is motivated and works hard and you know is going to do a good job. So, you know, from from thinking differently on the people they hire, because even me, I've only got one coach on my whole staff that when I hire him, he coached the position that he's coached previously. I make them coach something completely different. They're like, I've never coached even on that side of the ball. Like, look, you fit what I want you to fit personality-wise and character-wise, and you can learn to do some of this other stuff, but I think you have a real strength here. And like I say, so it's about it's like 84% of my coaches coach something they've never coached before. And they're really successful at it now. It just took a little bit of time. But now we're even better than what I thought we would be. Because then again, they're also not brainwashed by what their previous boss thought. You know, so they're not bringing in his ideas. We're having to think new and create our own ideas. Is there any difference uh, in coaching coaches versus coaching players? Uh, you know, a, a little bit of difference in that I would say the similarities are give them some ownership in it. You know, if, if you give them ownership and make them feel important, they'll always do a better job. And then they'll always, when you say, look, I really want you to think about some of this stuff, they'll do that if they think you have value on them. That's both of them, coaches and players. Um, the players seem to need a little bit more if you go this extreme with them, like if I get on them a lot when they don't do a good job or if they're, you know, get like kids do and somehow their attention diverts from where we want it to, I have to go this way even further. And what I mean is, you know, if I get on a kid pretty good, I've got to find something real that he did well that day 
and bring them back in by telling them something. Now, I can't find something fake. I've got to find something real. With coaches, is it nearly that way? You know, I mean, you can say, look, your, your guys did a bad job on the game, and da, da 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 And I don't have to also give them a positive as much. You know, adults are a little bit different, but they still like it when you do. So what I've learned over the time is to uh, – if, if I do – have to get on somebody or have to push somebody I tried my best and I'll wait it might be a week before I find something equally as good as they did bad to reel them back in with but when I do find that I make it a middle note to bring them back in so they do realize hey I did have to get on you for that but I still love you and think you're really important what we're doing sure what what did those coaches say to you when you said we're uh, we're not going to punt anymore you know, that was interesting. Uh, the kids were great. That was, that's the other thing. Kids are more, way more open to ideas than adults are because, you know, we get, this is how we want to do it. We've always done it this way. You know, that kind of thing. Kids were great. Kids are, I could walk out there tomorrow and say, we're going to punt on first down. And if I could give them a great reason, I, I think they'd be in, you know, I mean, kids are great. If you can tell them why, I mean, think about growing up, you know, your mom says, Hey, I want you to eat your green beet. Well, why, you know, if she would have told you why, instead of saying, you know, because I said so, probably been a little more anxious to do it for them. But um, with the with the coaches, they uh, they, you know, I had to really explain it to them why. And then early on with that first one, I had to go. And the bottom line is, you're not gonna like it. We're just doing it because I said so. You know, so so as the head coach, if you think something's really better, or as the leader of a, an organization or, or or the CEO of a company you've got to listen to your people and listen to their ideas in case you're wrong or in case they've got a good twist. But overall, if you know you're right and it's best for the group, then you've got to make the hard decision saying, okay, I've listened to you, but here's what we're going to do. And if you don't like that, you know, then you got to find somewhere else to go. Coaches, you've talked, as you've talked to a lot of executives and CEOs and, and corporate audiences, like you said, what, what have they said to you when they hear your conversation and your story around not punting? What have they related that to for their business? Like in a business where what would, what would be the analogy of, of never punting for a business? Here, here, here's one. I went down, I've actually been twice to a company called Halliburton, which is in the oil services industry. It's a billion, you know, multi-billion dollar giant oil services company. And like everything, you know, the world and technology changes and what we need to be able to do and what we need to be able to uh, uh, service. So their business has changed from, you know, in the old days, they needed guys that work big trucks and go drink, you know, that could go work on trucks that drill, the, that had these giant drills and all that. And we got those all drilled and we were manufacturing so much oil because technology got better that they needed to change their services and their products and what they were doing. But the people that had been there for 15 years didn't want to. They're like, this has worked well for us. I don't want to learn something new. And, and so, you know, I'm, I went in and, and they used me on that one, for instance, to go in and go, look, our school in the history of the school had never been past the final four. And we had only been there twice. But I knew we had to change what we were doing or we were destined to be the same way over and over. So I, I decided to look at a different product, a different way to do things. And all of a sudden now, in the last, I've been the coach, the head coach for 18 years. We've been to the final four 15 of those 18 times. We were there twice in the history of the school. So by necessity, sometimes you have to think differently and change, but you have to be able to accept whatever the leader of the group decides you're going to do and do it with a great attitude or it's not going to work. 
So they wanted me to be able to explain that's how a difference can change, completely change what you're doing in some aspects, but at the same time lead to success that you never even dreamed of because they had to change a ton of their services that they were providing. And some people just did not want to go through the training of learning something new because I've done this 15 years. But the, the, the obvious thing to the CEO and the COO was you're not going to be able to stay here because we're not going to do those things anymore. But they wanted them because they were good people and they, but they want, they had to convince them that we've got to start doing things differently or we're not going to exist or you're not going to have a job. Right. And I'd be coming out of like 2020 where, you know, you can make the argument that the companies that are going to win in 2021 were able to change and adapt and try new things. And that's like a muscle, right? Almost. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, if we want to learn to, I'm a big advocator on, uh, uh, if you spend five or 10 minutes doing something every day, more than somebody else, you're going to get way better because all that time adds up. And if you go watch, here's the example I'll give on what you're talking about. If you've ever been to, if you go to Vegas and watch any of the Cirque shows, I love going to Las Vegas and I love watching the Cirque shows. Those people are freaks. I mean, people that are just, you know, I think of the, I think of the Mystere and they're climbing the poles and guys are doing the human flag thing and they're doing it and doing flips off of it and catching it again and doing crazy stuff. Well, they, they weren't born any more than you and I'd be able to do that, to, to be able to do that, but they worked at it and got better at it and they trained themselves to be able to do crazy things. So then, so one day I took our guys out here and I said, all right, you know, who's the best jumper, jump roper? We're going to start jump roping five minutes a day. And I had guys that could just do straight jump rope, but I had some that couldn't even do that. And nobody could do crazy crossovers and all this. Well, for three straight months, every day, just for five minutes, I got him a jump rope and went out there doing it. In three months, guys that couldn't jump rope at all looked like Rocky when they were done. Because, and I was just trying to teach them, you can train yourselves to do things. If you'll focus on it and spend a little time every day doing it, it's amazing what you can train your body or your mind to be able to do. And like you said, companies that are willing to know that we have to be able to adapt and do something new, we can train ourselves to do it. I mean, I did when COVID came and they're like, okay, we're out of school. And I'm thinking, well, but we're going to still have a football season, which we did. I've got to find a way to train my guys without seeing them, you know, in the Zoom and all that. I hated all that. Didn't want to do that. But if you want to be successful enough, you'll go through what you have to to do it. So first of all, I spent five or 10 minutes a day Zooming people, regular people. So when I got to the players, it wasn't a lot of dead time and me figuring out how to work it. I'm losing them and all that kind of stuff. You learn if you want to be – Basically, the priority has to dictate what you're willing to train yourself to do. And if your priority is success and, and that, then if you are convinced that you have to train yourself, it is amazing what you can train yourself to do. Yeah. What, why do you think, I mean, you've obviously had, a, you know, some success <laughs> with, with the way that you've been doing things. So you, but oh, I just want to kind of like get in, as people are listening and they're thinking about how do you identify the, the thing that's out there that they have to change? How did you come up with punting being the, the, the thing that had to change? How did, what process did you kind of go through? I know you spoke at the MIT analytics conference. So, you know, you were talking Moneyball stuff before Moneyball. Like what made you kind of do that? You know, it, it, I got, I, you know, I don't know if you say got lucky or it was the way I did things that made me lucky. You know, some people say preparation makes luck. Some people say you better be lucky than good. I literally sat down when, cause I had been the assistant coach in here and you're limited, you know, it's like a, it's like a, 
a white collar worker is one thing, but the COO and the CEO really get to make a bigger impact, you know, and I was making an impact, but I wasn't making as big as one as I could have. And the day they hired me as the head coach when the other guy was gone, I went, you know, I'm all excited. You walk out of the office. I had no idea it was coming. I mean, they just pulled me in before they even opened it up and said, hey, it's your job. You've done a good job. I walk in the office and I sit down in the big chair and I'm thinking, this is great. Then it hit me like a rock. Well, you're not going to be, you know, you think you're a pretty good coach, but you're not going to be that much better than the last guy if we're doing the same stuff because you got the same people. So I just said, I'm going to ask why about every month of the year, you know, if, if football's a process, you do a train off season starting in January, we do and go through December when you're in game and all that kind of stuff. And it separates. And I just started asking, why are we doing things in January the way we're doing them? Why are we eating the pregame meals the way we're eating them? Why are we getting to games at the time we get to a game? So I asked, but then I got on the field and I literally just for the heck of it, asked, okay, now why do we run the kind of offense we do? Why do we punt? So really just a kind of a happenstance, I wanted to know why. And the answer is always my, so my DC goes, well, field position and defense coach, that's wins ball games. You know, that's the answer everybody gave at that time. And so I really wanted to look. So I started digging around on the internet and I found an old professor that had done his own study of football. uh, And he was a Harvard guy. And I saw him do some numbers. Again, that was pre-money ball. And that was the beginning of the not punting experiment. And then now as we've gone along and here we are, you know, we, we did really well early on for what our school had done. But in my first 10 years as head coach, we won three state championships. We've won six of the last seven now. So as I've evolved, you asked the question, how did you end up on punting? Now, every year, I look analytically at everything we do and try to throw out the less efficient things on defense, offense, and in practice and in offseason and try to make, bring in more efficient things. And then I looked at, I looked at all levels of football and which a business could do this and go look at all the, let's say you sell shoes, your business is a shoe seller. Mm-hmm. Let's look at that. Let's look at all the shoe sellers in the world and find the common denominators. So in the game of football, the common things, who wins the games the most, take the names off the box scores. 81% of all games are won by who has more 20 yard plays in that game. Uh, 80% of the games are won by turnovers. Well, everybody's working on turnovers. So, you know, th- that's a wash. Um, 77% of all games are won by who has the most sacks in the game. Turns out, I want to study, I want to know why on analytics, sacks are drive killers, and there's, I can give you all kinds of numbers to point to that. So what we did was we built our team around the most efficient things that no matter what team you were, you were going to win the game. So the top five things we started working on, we designed our offense to have 20-yard plays. Not throw it 40 yards, that's not efficient, but throw it at 15 and 20 yards. And we worked where we we blitz all the time and try to get a sack more sacks wins the game 77 percent of the time now there's a synergistic effect if you do all those things together that you win 99 percent of the time so you know if i'm a shoe store going back to that i'm going to look and go what are the top things in, in various areas what are the top five things that these the top five stores have in common and not gross sales because that's not fair that's not the same playing field but maybe you know, sales per person or, you know, units sold uh, divided by cost or something like that. I'm going to find out what they do that's common and go, when you look and you go, well, when these people go in this store, they buy something 82% of the time. And when they go in this store, they buy something 42% of the time. 
what the heck are they doing and they doing and they doing that makes it 82% effective? When you walk in the door, do they have a big red sign that says buy shoes now? Maybe that's imprinted on your brain. You know, who knows what it is? And you turn over some rocks and you go, oh my gosh, I would have never thought that was a thing. And that's a thing. And so that's that's my long answer to that question. You got to cut me off because yeah. I just keep rambling. Thank no, God you can I know, thank man, God you solid. can edit this thing. It's uh, it, it's solid. No. How many other teams have are are uh, have cut their punter as well? I don't think any. <laughs> Why? <laughs> You know, I, it, it's risk aversion is the big thing. And it's, that's why when you said earlier, you know, running a football team is very much like running an organization. I owned a golf store, a Golf USA for a while. And man, there are a ton of similarities in running it and motivating the people and finding out this and not using that. That's inefficient. Spending money on that. That's not working. And here's what sells more and all that. But, uh, you know, risk averse, you know, if you bring in something new and different, even back then when I was running, when I owned the golf store, Man, I was scared to try new stuff too. It was like the company says, the Golf USA franchise says, this is what works. Well, that's what works if you want to, you know, if you want to sell this much a year percent of your square footage a year, that's what works. But I don't want to do that. I want to be better than that. Well, then you got to try something new and different, but you need reasons and evidence to back to be able to back you up on it. So, so I, I think that's the answer is, is, is just finding things new having a reason for it. I mean, a good reason and, and having a big sample size to pick from. I mean, you know, if we walk in one short, one shoe store in New York and I hate using shoes, I'm just using the elemental, the, the, the base thing you can use. But if you walk into shoe store in New York and they go, we do 20,000 sales a day. Well, it might be in New York city where the foot traffic's a million people buy it a day. And right. if you do one in Little Rock, Arkansas, you're not going to have that, but you could really find out who was better if you go, their foot traffic is a million a day and Little Rock, it's a hundred thousand a day. So Little Rock, if they're doing more than 10% of what New York is in theory, they're doing a little better job with the number of people to pass and the amount of shoes they sell. So, you know, once you break it down into that, then you can start finding out, like I say, inefficiencies you need to throw out efficiencies and then bring it in something different, test it for a large enough sample size before you get rid of it to see if that new thing works for you or it might not. And the risk aversion, the scared to do it, the scared to invest a little money is what keeps people from doing it. And the other thing is the male ego. In football, it's a really big thing, and it might be for some companies, um, because what I mean is this. If I told you, tell me who the manager of the Texas Rangers is, their essential head coach, you know, you probably couldn't pick him out of the lineup. But if I ask you, you know, who the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys is, a lot more people can recognize that guy. When your face is the front of the franchise, and in football, it's the head coach and usually the quarterback, you know, head coach and a star player, then you've got a lot more pressure on you. And so if it goes bad, you're the guy that gets the ball. And if it goes good, coaches want to be able to go, I came up with that idea, not I stole it from Jimbo over there, you know? So I think the ego factors into that. Well, I'm just glad, you know, I don't want to just come up the wrong way, but I'm glad I didn't play for you because I was a long snapper and I don't know where I would, what I would do. <laughs> Some extra points here and there. Yeah. <laughs> so cool coach. I appreciate it. I, I'm going to give you the last word. Any, any other, you know, I, and I'll leave you in on this 2021. It's the bounce back year. 2020 was tough. What do you say to leaders out there? Any piece of advice from you coach? And good question. I'd say, you know, number one, 
we have a tendency, I think, in, in football and in business, when you had a bad year, a down cycle, you want to get it all back quick. Same thing if you're playing the stock market, if you're doing anything. God, can I get it back, all of it back? You know, my revenue was cut in half last year. I would generally say the faster you try to get things back, usually the more ineffective you are, and it can create a really downward spiral. So I think you got to focus on doing, if you felt like you were successful before, doing the things that were successful and just push forward and grind it out, if at all possible, grind it out. At the same time, you better be really, really willing to accept the new as it is. But, you know, it's the serenity prayer, you know, God grant me to serenity to, to, to not think about the things I can't change, basically. If you can't change it, quit fighting it. You know, you might as well embrace it. You know, I'm not... I mean, I'm not big, you know, we're out here playing football and practicing and this and that. And immediately when practice is over, I'm putting on a mask and I don't, it doesn't make sense to me to be in the film room when I've been two feet from these guys, but embrace it. I can't fight it. That's the rules. That's the way it is. Why would I spend mental energy fighting that? Now, at the same time, somebody brings in something and goes, look, how much more efficient we can be if we do it this way. They're not having to spend five minutes to go find their mask after practice and spot in five minutes you know, before practice, find it. Well, I've saved 10 minutes for 50 guys. That's a lot of man minutes. So we've developed a different way to even do that. Here's your slot, put yours right here. You'll walk right in, grab it. I don't have to let you go to the locker room and do, you know. And so what I'm saying is, I guess, grind out what you have to, don't fight what you can't and use your own people. What I have found out is when there's something new and none of us know about COVID coming, you know, it's one thing to have a, one guy thinking about what you can do to be more efficient or better. I just started asking our players, guys, I need ideas, you know, and they're kids, but kids are pretty smart sometimes. And all of a sudden we've got, you know, counting my coaches and my kids, we've got 70 guys coming to me with ideas. We got some pretty good ways to do things in the new world from them. I think make sure, you know, I did a thing with Ticketmaster uh, two years ago. And I went out there and it was, it was an interesting combination. I kind of came a little bit of a consulting thing. I was talking to the, the, the white collar guys at the top and there was a gap between them and the tech guys because basically Ticketmaster's goal is if Britney Spears has a concert, we want to see how fast we can sell that thing out. I'm talking 12 minutes, all the tickets sold. Well, the people down here had some good ideas, but the people up here weren't listening. And because, you know, I don't know if it was ego or you just thought you guys don't know, you are tech guys, you just just do your job or whatever. But I went down there and they were trying to explain it to me, you know, hey, they just won't listen to us. I had a group of 20 guys and I'm going to go bridge that gap. And, and I said, you know, here's what they're wanting to accomplish. They're like, we coach, we could do this. We could cut our time down by 35% if they'll just listen to us. I'm like, have you tried? Yeah, we've tried. Well, I find out that the leader of this group goes up and talks to this guy. And it's funny, it's actually on a higher floor, like you would, you know, that you, the prototypical you'd think. They go up and, and they're not, they're going in with an attitude and they're not presenting it in a way he can even understand. They're using all these large terms and technical terms, even this guy doesn't get. So he's listening and just kind of agreeing and dismissing it and it's done with. And meanwhile, this guy, I go say, hey, he does have some good points. He finally explained it to me. Would you listen to me? He goes, I don't understand a word he's saying. So I'll go back downstairs. And I'm like, listen, you've got to find one of y'all, not you as the leader, one of y'all that can explain it where he can understand because you do have something good. Well, they started listening to them and it really helped their business. You know, they, they, they were able to apply some of those things and attain their goal of decreasing at 35% in the time they wanted to. Because like I say, there's varying companies. They want to be able to say, host with us. We figured out a way to sell out a 20,000 seat 
stadium in 12 minutes. And this company says they can do it in eight and they want to do it because Britney Spears and her people want to hear. They'll go with a company that says we can do it in eight minutes, you know, because it just sounds like a competitive thing amongst those guys. So I guess, you know, what I'm saying is listen to your people as well and never dismiss. And you're going to take some dumb answers. They're going to have some dumb ideas. But don't make them feel dumb because you never know when the one that was dumb might come up with something genius the next time. And don't be afraid and throw your ego to the side. More than ever in this time, you got to throw your ego to the side and take great ideas from anybody you can get them from. Sure. I think that's super relevant. I, I, I hate Zoom. I think that, you know, it, it's, uh, I'm worn out from it. But yeah, I am the too. best leaders... You know, they're found the best to your point. They found a way to communicate and use those tools better. Then there's yeah. people who just don't want to learn it. And, you know, those are the people that probably, you know, they see what you're doing and are, you know, will never get it. So, right. Uh, that's awesome, coach. That was it. That was great. All right. You know, I read an article about Coach Kelly years ago, and there's one part of it that really stuck with me. And it said, quote, football coaches are too wedded to convention, scared by the knowledge that losing traditionally is safer than trying to win radically. When I think of Coach Kelly, he is a model for what it means to wake up every day and think about how to win radically. I was super excited to have Coach Kelly on the pod because as a high school football coach in Arkansas, he isn't scared to do what almost every other football coach out there is, challenge convention. To ask, why do we do this? And to be willing to go his own way, do his own research, find his own way to win. I was also shocked to hear when Coach Kelly talked about the fact that not a lot of other coaches are even willing to follow the model now. Wild, considering his success. You know, not many people think about innovative when they think about football. But Coach Kelly knows this. By necessity, sometimes you have to think differently and change. But and that's what makes him a great leader. So thank you for joining us on the pod, Coach Kelly, and showing us that great things can happen when we aren't scared to take a risk and do the hard shit. Now, back to work.